Tonight we're going to talk about Jesus and the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And really what this is, <clears throat> when I read this, I, I just kind of started laughing because what, what Jesus did with the woman at the well was basically he did what they trained people to do in the power and love thing. He walked up to a total stranger at, in somewhere in his city and he struck up a conversation and he brought the kingdom of God right into the middle of that situation. We're, gonna, we're just gonna kinda go verse by verse tonight. <clears throat> so bear with me and we're gonna kinda go right through John chapter four tonight. But we're gonna set the stage with who this was. Who was this woman at the well? First of all, who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans were the people that lived near the Jews, but they weren't the Jews. They weren't the called people, but they were the called people's neighbors, and they kind of, the Jews looked down their noses at the Samaritans. Can you all say, you know what I mean when I say that? They, they kind of said, oh yeah, but you're those people. And the Samaritans, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like it when people look down their nose at me. So my guess is that the Samaritans pretty much didn't like the Jews, and the Jews pretty much said, oh, they're just Samaritans. Okay? It was kind of like, oh, yeah, they're just Samaritans. And the Samaritans go, yeah, you want some of this? You know, they were, they were kind of, they didn't like each other, all right? So, and the, the loss, um, the Jewish custom was that the, the Jews couldn't even have interactions with the Samaritans. And um, so that was the, 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 the group, the people group that she was from. Then she was a woman. So in, in that culture, the women weren't highly esteemed. They, were, they weren't the rulers. They were in that time and place. That was what it was. And then we, we know that there was something wrong because in that culture, when you went to the well, the well was like the central gathering place of the city. All right? So when you went to the well, you went to the well in the morning. And all the ladies, it was their job to go get water for the day. So the ladies would all gather at the well. <clears throat> and it was probably kind of like, you know, coffee break or something, you know. They all just kind of gathered at the well and they all just kind of, you caught up on the neighborhood gossip at the well, you know. That's when everybody went was the morning. But when Jesus came to the well, it was noon. It says it was the sixth hour. Now, nobody goes to the well at the sixth hour at the heat of noon. Nobody goes to the well at noon. So why was this woman at the well at noon instead of going there in the morning when all the other ladies go there at noon? We're just going to leave that one there for now. Because in reality, the only reason you'd go to the well at noon is because you, you don't want to see anybody. You just want to be by yourself, sneak in, sneak out. Same reason people come to church late. They want to sneak in, sneak out, right? So that they don't have to talk to anybody. Okay, so that's the Samaritan. Then you got Jesus. He's walking. He's coming through. We're just going to read it. It says, <clears throat> verse 3, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, this is verse 5, called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That's noon. 
A woman of Samaria, we never find out her name, just a woman of Samaria, came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So this is how it's like they're going to train people in the power and love thing. You find a stranger, and you open a conversation with them. So the way Jesus opened the conversation is he said, hey, can you give me a drink, please? I'm sure he said please because he was Jesus. I'm sure he was polite. Okay, so hey, can you give me a drink? Simple enough, right? He opened the conversation with a simple request. And the woman then has a response. She she says here in verse nine, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She's saying, what's up with you? You people don't even talk to us. And you want me to give you a drink of water? That's, That's her response. So his initial just trying to break into the conversation by asking for a drink of water, he gets hit with all this this stuff, right? This baggage that says, what's your deal? You don't even like us. How can you're asking me for a favor? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We don't even talk to each other. And and what are you doing? Leave me alone. That's basically where she comes from. So that's her, her objection is, you don't have anything to do with us. So then in verse 10, Jesus, and Aunt, Jesus ignored her objection. Jesus ignored her objection. You know, that's the one thing we can learn from Jesus. If you read Jesus' life in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can see that whenever people wanted to argue with Jesus, Jesus never got into an argument with anybody. We can all learn. I can learn a good lesson there, right? We, I think we can all learn a good lesson from Jesus there. People are always trying to pick fights and pick arguments with you. And it's just interesting that Jesus never participated with the argument. Here she's trying to pick a fight with him. She's saying, okay, Mr. Hotshot Jew, you think you're so cool. Eh, now you want me to give you a drink of water? Huh? Right? That's, that's, that, that's what's going on here. Jesus totally ignores her. I love it. He says, if you knew the gift of God, he totally ignores her objection. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What does he do? He, He reaches out and he piques her curiosity with a statement. He's saying, hey, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me and I could give you living water. Because if you really think about this story, this story's not about water, it's about love and acceptance. Even the word that Daniel had at the beginning of the service, it, it ties directly in, and he and I didn't talk about this ahead of time, it's just what happens, that's how God does things. The well signifies a need, a very basic need that she had and that was water and a very basic need that Jesus had. And she's going to get that need met by going to the well. 
And Jesus is showing her that, okay, you need this water, but it's really about love and acceptance. And you're going to come back to this well, but you're going to thirst again. He said, if you knew who it was that stood before you, you would ask and he would give you living water. The woman said, right away, so he's trying to pique her interest, and right away she's got another objection, right? That's what people do. They want to have objections when you present truth, and you can't get distracted when people give you objections. You got to just keep speaking the truth. The woman says, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. What then? Where then do you get that living water? She's, she's like starting to listen to him, but he's still directing the conversation. She's saying, oh yeah, you're going to give me living water? How are you going to get it? You don't even have a bucket or a rope, right? I mean, you look at it. She's going, oh, yeah, okay, sure, you're going to give me living water. Then she has another argument. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it as well as his sons and livestock? Jesus then answered, verse 13, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I give him shall become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So Jesus gives her more truth. Then verse 15, the woman gives an answer again. He's finally got her. He's piqued her interest to such a point where she's saying, okay, you got this water I don't have to come to this well every day. She's still thinking in the natural. She's still thinking about her thirst. She's still thinking about water. Jesus is thinking about a lot more than that, but he's meeting a natural need. So here's what he says. So this, the woman says to him, sir, give me this water that I I may not thirst. Give me this water. Give it to me. Can I have this water? He's finally got her, right? He says, all right, Jesus, you got me. Give me this water. I love what he says next. He says, after she says, give me this water, he decides that he's going to address the real issue and not the water issue, and he says, go get your husband. Part of me just laughs because he changes topics just like, you know, sometimes my wife and I will be talking and she'll ask me a question, I'll answer the question, then in three minutes will go by and she'll ask me another question and I'll be like, what are we talking about? Because we change topics. Anybody else ever have that? Where somebody just changes the topic and doesn't notify you that the topic has changed? And I'm just kind of going, what are we talking about? It seems like Jesus does this right here. He keeps changing the topic on her and, and she's like, uh, What? I would just ask you for water. What's my husband got to do with this? So he says, go get your husband. Because he really wanted to address the real issue and not the water issue. So he says, go call your husband and come back. Okay, verse 17. The woman decides to answer partially true. She says, I have no husband, right? I have no husband. Jesus said, you have well said. Verse 17, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one that you have now is not your husband. So yeah, you did speak truthfully. See, right there, 
Jesus gets what we would call a word of knowledge about this woman, and he, know, he gets information that's going to open her, her life up to the supernatural power of God or the supernatural entrance of God's kingdom. So he says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He goes, well, at least you're, at least you're not lying to me. You've had five, and the, one you're, the guy you're shacking up with now is not your husband. And she's like, I love her response. I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> you think? I, I just like she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then as soon as she, as soon as she starts down the road of addressing her issues, of looking for love in all the wrong places, she wants to argue again. More objections, right? Let's look. <clears throat> Verse 20. She wants to talk about where we worship. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place that we should worship. See, she wants to, she wants to argue about semantics now, right? She wants to argue about location or religious practices. She's just been confronted with someone who just read her mail and told her what was going on. And obviously, this guy is not a normal person. And she wants to argue about religion, right? She wants to argue about religious practices. But that's pretty normal, too. Because when you start interacting with people, start talking with people, they're going to want to argue. They're going to want to find something to distract. I would call this religious distraction. They want to distract you away from the real issue, which is the heart issue that Jesus is going after here, right? You all get what I'm, where I'm coming from? That he's going after the heart issue, and she wants to talk about, well, we only sing hymns in our church. Well, that's great. I don't care if you sing hymns or sing choruses, whatever. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about your heart, right? But there's religious distraction going on here. So then verse, we went through verse 20. Verse 21, Jesus responds... <clears throat> Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither you will neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You will worship you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is. So he's saying, hey, there's an opportunity for you here. The hour is coming and it's right now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So in her religious argument, she wanted to argue about whether they worshiped on the mountain or whether they worshiped in Jerusalem. And Jesus saying, no, you don't get it. God is a spirit, and we worship him in spirit and truth. And you can worship him because that's what God is seeking. So it's not about whether you're a Samaritan or whether you're a Jew. Jesus is bringing her life. He's bringing her truth. And the woman wants to argue again. She wants to argue again. She goes, well, I know the Messiah's coming. I've heard about that. And what I call this is, this is when you're talking to someone and you're starting to get a little ways into ministering to them or you're starting to break through and then they pull this one on you. Well, me and the big guy upstairs, we're good. You ever, anybody ever have somebody tell you that? You know what, just back off, man. Me and the big guy upstairs, we got this all figured out, and 
we're okay, we're good, you know, I don't, you know, I don't need to be like you, I'm good, you know. That's what she's saying. She goes, well, I know about the Messiah. I've heard about him. Just back off a little bit with all your spirit and truth stuff, right? It's more religious distraction. She says, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26 is the key. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, next verse, I who speak to you am he. Realize this is one of the few times that Jesus refers to himself as Messiah. Most of the rest of the time throughout the New Testament, when Jesus is asked about, so are you the Messiah? He'll, he'll usually answer, he usually answers in later texts, he answers things like, let the works speak for themselves. It is as you say. He says things like that. But in this instance, he said, I'm him. He, he literally says to her, I am the Messiah. The one who's speaking to you, I am Messiah. It's like, that's a huge, huge issue. He offers her the revelation that has not been shared with, with anyone at that point in time. He's offering her revelation that he's the Messiah. It's also important to know that when he revealed himself to her, he revealed himself to her first like, hey, give me a drink. It was a, it was a little bit of an interaction. Then he gave her a little bit more information. Then he said, oh yeah, uh, call your husband. Gave her an opportunity. Then he says, oh, uh, you've, you've had five husbands and the one you're with is not, it's not now. And he says, so he keeps drawing her in closer and finally he reveals the, the, the truth, the big one to her, and that is, I'm the Messiah. So he finally reveals, I am the Messiah to her. And so what do we do with this now? She says, she's got this huge information what do I do with this? All of a sudden, the religious people come, all his disciples. They come back and they're like, what are you talking to her for, right? All the disciples come and they don't say anything, but they're all like, can you imagine? Here's this poor lady. She's already feeling ashamed because she's like the woman who's been married five times and everybody kind of looks at her sideways and whispers. When she comes around, she can only go to the well when nobody's there. She finally, she's got this news that Jesus is here and he's the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, here comes the disciples. And they're like, what's he talking to the woman for? What's going on here? You know, all the, the guys are like, all these 12 guys show up and this poor lady's going, uh, I'm out of here. All of a sudden, she's gone. She disappears. You look at the scripture. So right here it says, the disciples had, okay, well, sorry. Here we go. And at, the, and at this point, the disciples came and they marveled and that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or what, why are you talking to her? The woman left. She, and it's interesting, it says, the woman left her water pot. She came there with one reason, with one purpose in mind. She came for one purpose, Right? to get water, right? Because she met with Jesus, it says the woman left her water pot and went home. 
She forgot why she came because Jesus had told her he was the Messiah. So she left her water pot, went to the city, and said to the men of the city, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Interesting that God uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. How God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Jesus chose to evangelize this Samaritan city, even though he's not called necessarily, he even says salvation is of the Jews, but yet he reveals himself to this Samaritan woman, and the woman goes, this woman who's ashamed, she's not accepted, she's a sinful woman because she's been an adulteress, she's lived with men and been married and divorced, and then now she's living with a man. She's not a, a high um, a high society person or acceptable person. She's like a, a person that's not acceptable. But yet that's who Jesus used to share with this city. It's interesting. If you look at this, she says, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? It's interesting that Jesus, while he told her all the things he never did, he never condemned her. He told her that she'd been married five times and that the guy that she was with now was not her, her husband, but he never condemned her. Had he condemned her like religion would condemn her, she would not have been able to come and, and basically tell all the people in the city, this guy told me everything I ever did. Because you know what? She was ashamed of everything she ever did. But somehow there's an interaction here that we don't get by just reading the scripture. And that is, she somehow must have believed that he was the Messiah. And she had somehow had some kind of a change of heart between the well where she left her water pot and the city when she went back, because when she went back, she says, come see a man, you guys know me, right? You can just hear her, you guys know me, I'm like the town laughing stock. You guys, none of you will do anything with me, none of you ladies will talk to me, but here I am, the Messiah told me everything I ever did, and I, I, I think I found him, I think we found the Messiah. So she becomes an evangelist. God can use anyone. That's what I want us to understand here. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how messed up you've been. It doesn't matter what you've been involved in. All that matters is, have you met the Messiah? And have you received him as the Messiah? His name is Jesus. Because when you meet the Messiah and you receive the Messiah, it doesn't matter what you've done. Your shame is taken away and you're now you're made whole. See, all the things that she tried to get met by having five husbands and by all this life that she lived was met and fulfilled when she met Messiah. See, she was trying to get her, her, her love bucket filled, if you want to call it that, by having all these different relationships. She was looking for love in all the wrong places. But then so Jesus said, that's what I was talking about earlier, that love and water 
That's what the two things are both simultaneously being addressed here. She's thinking she's getting water, but Jesus is saying, what you really need is not water. What you really need is my love and my forgiveness and my acceptance. He says, if you, if you take this physical water, you're going to thirst again. But you, if you receive what I have to give you, love and acceptance and forgiveness, you're never going to thirst again because I'll come and live on the inside of you and I'll bring a well of living water on the inside of you so you don't have to go around looking for relationships to fulfill you. You can have the one relationship with Jesus and it'll fulfill you for the rest of your life. You don't need to be filled up by men or by women or by things or by other stuff. You can be filled by a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So he's saying, I'm the Messiah. I am that spring of living water. That's what he was telling her. And she said, I found the Messiah. He's the answer. Could it be the Christ? Then they went out to the city, and the whole, it says the city came out to see him. So this woman, who snuck around by herself at noon so nobody could see her, brings the whole city back with her to see Jesus. She becomes an evangelist, Right? And she brings the whole city back out. And he said, to, where is it now? Come on. Where did it go now? Help me, somebody. My notes just disappeared on me. Here we go. Could this be the Christ? They went out to that city and they came to him. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him to eat. And he said, I got food. You don't even know anything of. Leave me alone. My food's to do the will of the Father. And then it goes on and then it says... And many Samaritans, verse 39, get it to 39 up there. It says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because the woman who testified said, he told me all that I ever did. Many of the Samaritans believed in Jesus that day because that woman went back and she had received the love that Jesus was offering. You know, chances are she didn't even get her water pot filled that day. That was the only thing she had to do that day, and she probably never got her water pot filled, but what she did is she got her heart healed. She, got, she received the Messiah. She received that well that springs up out of, her, out of her heart so that she never had to thirst again. You know, the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel right here, it says, Jesus performed, this is John uh, 21, verse 30. It says, the purpose of the gospel Many people, many, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not even written in this book, but these that are written, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in him. See, by believing that Jesus is the Messiah, by believing in his name, you have life in his name. You have life. See, what Jesus offered the woman at the well, she was looking for water. What she really needed was love and acceptance. And she was doing it all wrong. And Jesus offered her a finality of love and acceptance. And the question that, that begs to be answered today is, do you, un Daniel talked about it earlier, do you, do you realize how loved you are. You are loved. Now, many times we can't get through. We've blown it, like the woman at the well. We've blown it. We've done so many 
things that we're sorry for and we wish we hadn't done and things haven't gone well and gosh, we've blown it and, and people are mad at us and maybe there's issues and all this stuff. But you know what? No one is more messed up than this woman at the well. Okay? She was a messed up person. All right? Let's just face it. She was messed up. She wasn't from the right family. She'd done all kinds of crazy stuff. But Jesus never condemned her. I love the fact that Jesus never said, well, if you would do right, then I would accept you. No, he never said that. He just wanted, he wanted to confront her with her real issue. That's why he said, go get your husband. Because it needed to be addressed. The fact that a man was never going to fulfill her. It needed to be addressed that no person, and I'll just say this, no person can ever fill the need that you have in your life for love and acceptance. No man, no woman can ever fulfill the need for love and acceptance that you have in your life. It doesn't matter who you're married to. They cannot meet that need. It's impossible. And if you look to them to get this need met, you will simply hurt both of you. You can't, you can't look to them to get that hole filled in your heart. Only Jesus, the Messiah, can fill that hole in your heart. Only Jesus, the Messiah, can give us water that, so that when we drink that water, that we never thirst again. So that when we receive that love, we never look anywhere else for love because that, that need has been met in our life by his ultimate love that he has for us. So today, a couple questions for you. Have you received the Messiah? It's not just, yeah, me and the big guy, we're right. No, that's not receiving the Messiah, okay? That's something other than receiving Jesus Christ as Messiah, okay? That's, I don't know what that is, but it's not what you need to do, okay? That's, an, that's a religious distraction excuse, have you received Jesus Christ as Lord of your life and as the Messiah, the sent one, the Christ, the son of the living God? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? That's step one. Have you, have you received the love of God and the acceptance of God where he says you're accepted in the beloved Jesus? He's not looking He's not looking at your performance. He's not looking for you to do everything right. If he was, none of us could make it. I would be the worst one of all. I couldn't make it, I guarantee you, by my performance. It's by the grace of God that we're saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. But here's the deal. You do have to receive his love. His love is offered, but you've got to receive it because just because a package is on your front door doesn't mean you have it. You have to actually pick it up, take it in the house and open it and then, oh, look what I got, okay? You have to actually receive it, okay? And not, not just leave it out there on the front step forever. We've got to actually do something to receive the love of God. What that is is, Lord, I receive your love. It's just that simple. Lord, I receive your love. Lord, I receive, I declare Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. I forsake my own life. 
Galatians 2.20 says that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ, the Messiah, that lives in me. It's not even me that lives anymore. It's not even you that lives anymore. It's Christ that lives in us. That's what Galatians 2.20 says. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. That the life that I now live, I, I may live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. That's liberation. That is true resurrected life. That when we realize that it's not our life, it's not our, our, our destiny, it's his life through us that gives us what we need. Today he loves you. Now, I'm gonna close this off right now, and that is this. Today, if, you've, if you just say, I need that. I need to drink that living water. I need to receive that, that, that wellspring of life on the inside of me that, that never goes away. The one that renews me day by day. I need that wellspring of life, that love that springs up on the inside of me. That's Jesus the Messiah. That's who you need. That means that you just make him Lord of your life and you start a relationship with him. Maybe you were in relationship with him and you've walked away, but it doesn't matter. He says, come back, come back. It doesn't matter how far you've been away, just come back. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday, just do something today. It really, truly doesn't matter what happened yesterday. All that matters is right now and tomorrow because he said, I will forgive and I'll forget every sin you've ever committed. You know what kind of a deal that is? Get your slate washed clean, wiped clean, just by asking him to forgive you. That's it. So I just want to know, you can just, if, if you say that's me, you stay right where you are, but I just want you to raise your hand and say, I want to get my slate washed clean. I want to know that I am forgiven, that, and I want that love on the inside of me like it, that's renewed day by day by day. I need that love. If that's you, just lift a hand right now. I'd love to pray with you right now. I see that. Thank you. That's awesome. That's a brave man back there. That's awesome. Anybody else that says, I want, to, I want my slate washed clean. I would say to you, for those, that, for those of you that, that you're, you're saved and you say, well, I know what's going on here and I'm already saved. I would say to you every morning, I would say, or every night, get your slate washed clean. <laughs> I'd say confess before the Lord and, and repent every day um, to make sure that your, your slate's clean every day. Let's just pray together and we're gonna pray with our brother back there and we're gonna pray with all of us today. Just all of us just pray this prayer with me if you would, please. Say, Father God, I thank you that you put in me a wellspring of love and acceptance that never runs dry. I receive Jesus the Messiah as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to wipe my slate clean. Give me an absolute clean slate. Thank you that you don't remember anything I've ever done wrong. 
you've thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness that you love me that you have a great plan for my life and I, and I choose to walk with you every day in Jesus name Amen Amen now every day I would encourage you to acknowledge that Jesus the Messiah is on the inside of you. He's not just, um, he's not just a person or a prophet. He's, he's the Messiah. He's the one that was sent from God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's the only one. He's the true God, and he's the one that died for you, and he loves you so desperately. And he's not going to ever condemn you. And the enemy's always there to condemn, to always say you're not good enough, to always, the enemy's always there. Man, he, he, he gets in my ears too. Okay, it's, it's, you aren't the only one he lies to. He lies to everybody, all right? So just re- recognize the enemy's voice. And the way you can know the enemy's talking to you is when you feel condemned, it's the enemy. And when you feel convicted, that's the Holy Spirit. And the difference between con- condemnation and conviction is this. Condemnation brings you to hopelessness and despair. Conviction makes you realize that there's something wrong, but there's always hope, and it draws you back to God. That's conviction. And, and, and neither, one are, neither one are comfortable, but condemnation always puts you toward hopelessness and despair. Conviction never brings you to hopelessness and despair. It always brings you to the Father. And it always points toward reconciliation because that's God's plan. God never wants to throw you away. He always, he's always interested in reconciliation. He always wants you back on board. He always wants you back in fellowship every day. There's never anything you can do that would cause him to turn his back on you. He always wants you back in, in his fellowship again. So every day when you're, when you're in the presence of God, recognize that the Holy Spirit always draws us to the Father and run to Him. When you feel the worst, when you feel the dirtiest, when you feel the, the, that God can't possibly redeem whatever it is and is in the middle of your life, run to Him right in the middle of that situation because that's when He can make the most happen in your life is when you run to Him in the middle of all your junk. Just run to Him and say, God, help! This woman had been married five times, living with a man, and Jesus never condemned her. He just brought her life, okay? He wasn't worried about her performance. He just brought life to her, and that's what he's doing, gonna do for us too. So, peace.